on episode 569 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Tyler Dolly and discuss regenerative farming and food quality. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 569. decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40 i'm alan meisner i'm an nsam certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change and fitness nutrition a fai certified functional aging specialist and an ota level 2 online trainer I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASN certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey, all right? Let's go. I remember one New Year's Day when I launched off on a series of resolutions that would fix everything that was broken in my life. I was going to stop snacking, quit drinking alcohol, drink plenty of water, exercise every day, and call my mother at least once a week. That lasted all of three weeks, which begs the question, do you set resolutions each year? Or have you given up on the notion that you could ever stick to it? Do you wonder why it's so hard to start making a change and equally as hard to keep going? The fitness industry loves this. They want you to get a gym membership and not use it. They want you to buy their packaged weight loss food and not lose weight. That's their entire business model. In fact, they want us to believe just long enough to get our credit card or bank details. But I'm here to tell you, all you need is to set your feet and have a plan. Tom Landry, the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys said, setting a goal is not the main thing. It is deciding how to go about achieving it and staying with that plan. Or as Abraham Lincoln said, give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I will spend the first four hours sharpening the axe. I prefer to say it this way. You may know how to drive, but without knowing the route, you'll never arrive. You're closer than you think, and I have full faith that you can get there this year. I'm doing a workshop on January 1st called the Better Me Tomorrow Workshop. This is a live, done-with-you program that takes you step-by-step through setting your route to transformation in 2023. Learn more at BetterMeTomorrow.com. That's BetterMeTomorrow.com. I'm looking forward to working with you at the live Better Me Tomorrow workshop on January 1st. BetterMeTomorrow.com. Hello, and thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness Podcast. The day we were supposed to record the hello section and the discussion for this episode was the day that Rachel's husband, Mike, was going in for surgery for his uh, kidney cancer. Don't have a lot of details yet, but the surgery was successful. The doctor feels really good about it. Not a lot of details, but just want to let you know that that's why we won't have a hello section this week. We'll learn more next week. Rachel and I will get back together, uh, but just want to let you know what's going on. Otherwise, let's get on with the show. Our guest today told me his job title at the family-run Big Bluff Ranch is head chicken wrangler. He raises chickens, among other animals, on a 2,500-acre ranch in Northern California. But unlike most commercial industrial farms, Big Bluff Ranch manages and cares for the animals from a regenerative farming approach. 
This results in happier, healthier birds, and in turn, is better for the environment and for you. With no further ado, here's Tyler Dolly. Tyler, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. You know, I've talked on the podcast quite a bit about how, particularly when I was living in the United States, I made a habit of making friends with farmers. Either whether it was at the farmer's market or otherwise, I was always looking for farmers in my area to provide fresh, high-quality meat because I knew it would be better for me. And I could tell and know where that came from. It didn't get shipped across the world, across the country. The animals are humanely raised. And it's someone that's actually looking out for not just a product, but looking out for their family. Because when you work on a ranch or a farm, that's how you feed your family. Absolutely true. I mean, we eat a lot of chicken around here. (laughs) I can imagine. So now your site says that you do regenerative farming. Can you kind of give us a definition or at least your definition of what that means? And how is that different from the industrial agriculture chicken I'm going to find in a standard supermarket? So regenerative agriculture is this really cool, amazing thing that lots of farmers are moving into, but it's still a little bit of a wild west. There is not a set definition of what regenerative agriculture is right now. So every farmer rancher is going to have a slightly different take on it. My take on it is that My job as the steward of our family ranch is to put as much life back into our soil and that it gets expressed back to us through plants and that we can take those plants and raise our cattle on it, raise our chickens on it. And then that animal gets turned into food for our bodies and that this regenerative agriculture is this big ball of goodness where you focus on each, any step of the chain, the animals or the ground or the soil microbes or the health of the product or the health of the people. If you really kind of aim to make one link of that chain the healthiest possible, it almost inexorably links back to everything else. So I can't really grow a super amazingly healthy chicken for you without worrying about the pasture that it's on. And I can't really have a healthy pasture without worrying about the soil microbes and the water infiltration rates and take it the other way around. If I really want to worry about my water infiltration rates, where that's how much rainfall I actually absorb into our soil, which is we're in California, we're in a mega drought. So I think about a rain a lot right now. I want every single drop as much as possible to go straight into our soil because that's going to grow grass. Well, How do I encourage that rain infiltration? Well, I need a porous soil structure. How do I encourage a soil porous structure? Well, many cool things, but basically roots, roots from plants. Okay, how do I get as many green plants as possible for as long as possible? Well, I'm talking about planting things. I'm talking about grazing it the correct way. Okay, great. Now I'm like talking about plants. Now, how do I graze those plants? Well, now I'm talking about cows or sheep, or goats, or chickens? What sort of chickens do I need to do to graze that plant? Well, I need a certain... You see how it goes. It links all together. And so in my mind, if you can concentrate on any part of this whole food chain and take it to its most natural, healthiest state, almost by default, your entire chain will have to... Production chain will have to be regenerative. See, like I said, there's not really a good answer. You get one of us talking about it and we're just going to go for a while. Well, right, right. But, you know, the the interesting thing is industrial agriculture, 
I mean, they just lay concrete and raise their chickens and kind of disregard the rest of it. So what fundamentally now, I mean, other than the pollution and other problems that's probably causing, what makes regenerative type farming, the chickens that you're raising, cows that you're raising, better than the cows that I would get at, say, just a standard grocery store? Right. So the conventional birds now, and I don't want to point fingers at the farmers at the system, any farmer you ever meet, all they're going to care about is the lifestyle of their birds. There's not, you just can't raise animals and not care about them. You may not know a better way, but you're doing the absolute best you can. So it's not like conventional farmers are evil. They just are kind of trapped in a system, but their system is really aimed at efficiencies and control and reducing the variabilities down to nothing. So they're they're raising big barns that they have fans on them. So the air intake is carefully regulated that, for instance, if they lose electricity, that there's no actual native airflow, that they have suffocation, you know, that they control everything down to the air, to the light, to the feed, to how much space these birds have. And it's a very, very close to being a factory as you possibly could get with a living creature. What we do, we pretty much try and go the exact opposite way. We're putting those birds back out onto pasture. They're out in the sun. They're getting a little bit hot. They're getting a little bit cold. They can huddle up together if they want. They can spread apart if they want. And just like humans, you know, if you get some sun, you get some exercise, you have the right social environment, you're eating the right sort of food, you're just a healthier person. So it's the same thing with our chickens, that we are trying to provide an environment to these chickens where they can be as much of a chicken as they possibly can be. Like I said, that that kind of links back into the whole chain. A healthy, happy chicken has to be on pasture. That pasture pretty much has to be well managed. And if you have a healthy, happy chicken, it's going to turn into a healthy, happy you know meal that you get to sustain your body with. And then you become healthy and happy. You know, it's this big, big thing. So it's all about finding the right system in Mother Nature. That That's kind of what all this regeneration stuff is about, that Mother Nature is a really good hands-off manager. She sets up systems and sets back and says, hey, this is a system. Here it goes. So example, like uh, the buffalo in the Midwest, that they would be herded around by the wolves. And so plants evolve for grazing heavily and a long rest period. Now, those bison maybe stay too long or maybe they don't come back at the right time. They'll be ballpark correct, but they're not going to be precisely correct. Well, us humans, if we step up and we're like, oh, what is the mother nature's system? Okay, she needs to graze something down, have enough rest period that these plants are fully recovered before our animals come back. We can take Mother's Nature's system and then actively manage it. We can go from a passive system to an active system. And as long as we're using her blueprint, we can do some pretty amazing things. So that maybe is another definition of regenerative agriculture is using Mother's Nature's blueprint in an active manner, not a passive manner. I have a friend that I worked with in the industry when I was in corporate And just about the time I was leaving corporate, he was leaving corporate. His wife's father ran a chicken farm, one of the standard, you know, big name company sponsored little farms. And they would literally drop off a certain number of chicks at a certain point, tell him the feeding schedule, the temperatures, you know, everything Mm -hmm. he was supposed to do. 
in between chick drop-offs, they'd go do an inspection, give him a list of things he had to have done before the drop-off. Then they would come by, you know, when it was time to pick up the chickens and then he'd get ready for another load. And that was, you know, that was just his cycle. Like you said, it was very regulated and he was told everything he was supposed to do down to the exact amount of food to feed them each and every time and the type of food to feed them each and every time. Those chickens never saw the outside until they were basically picked up to go be harvested. Well, you have over 2,500 acres, so you're able to rotate these chickens around and make sure they're in an optimal environment for their lives. Yeah, that's the whole point of what we do is to, with our chickens, uh, with our beef, and we plan to get into goats and sheep next spring. That's another part of my regenerative answer is that your farming should match your environment. That we're in California, we're a Mediterranean climate, we're hot and dry in the summer gets really kind of into the weeds, but it's a lot of fun. But anyways, it means that we should be growing lots of goat and sheep in California. We should be eating lots of goat and sheep in California. And that our meat cases here in California grocery stores should reflect the fact that we have a different environment. It should not look the exact same here in California as it does in New York State or Florida or I don't know what it would look like in Panama, but I imagine Panama still probably has lots of beef, lots of chicken, some pork. Anyways, I don't know. Yeah. So the idea is that that's kind of what we're doing because we are trying to steward our landscape in an active manner, according to Mother Nature's blueprint. Mother Nature wants small ruminants out here. So that's kind of what we're growing into. So we do chicken now. You can buy chicken from us. We'll have a little bit of beef here in the spring, and then we're just going to be growing and getting bigger and getting better at growing the exact right animal mix for Big Bluff Ranch to Hammond County, Northern California. So cool. that's pretty exciting. I get excited about that. Yeah, that uh, sounds exciting. I would enjoy that myself. I'm going to go into a grocery store and I'm going to see all of these words. And most of them, in my current opinion, is that they're just marketing words at this point. When someone sees something that's organic or a vegetarian chicken that laid an egg or omega-3 in the egg, what's going on there? And where's the line between what this is actually what it is, and then this is just a marketing thing? Right. So third-party certifications is what we would kind of call that in the industry, third-party audits. Some outside agency comes in and says, okay, you're doing things the way you say you're going to do. And they have a checklist of practices that they bring with them, and they come to your operation and be like, have you done this? They do that. And then they run down the list. And so each one of those terms is regulated. So free range, vegetarian fed, well, that might be an affidavit, but organic. You already kind of teed me up for this. It goes into this big ball of like greenwashing and self-promotion. And it's really tough to be able to make good choices when you go into the grocery store because these companies know that people want to eat good meat and they're willing to pay more for it. And they realize that all they have to do is slap a label on it and people are going to assume (laughs) assume that they're getting what they're actually buying or assume that what they're buying is what they want, which is not really the case. So uh, case in point, one of my favorite pet peeves is vegetarian fed chicken. Chickens are not vegetarian in the slightest. They eat a lot of grass, don't get me wrong, but If they have any sort of red meat, live protein running around, they're after it. Bugs. and So if you actually see something that's a vegetarian-fed egg, 
that diet is actually counter to the most healthy diet a chicken should be eating. And that to get the protein into that diet that they could have gotten from animal proteins, they're doing weird convoluted exercises to get the right protein levels from plant sources. So vegetarian fed, that's just a complete bunk. Don't even bother. It's You're paying more for worse. Free range, your first image of free range is like, oh, chickens, there's a red barn and green grass and white hens running around with a farmer in overalls and you know, is taking care of Julie here and Juliet over there. And that's not the case at all. Free range is one of these big conventional barns and that they have access to outside. That's it. Free range is access only. And that's access only. That's not even saying that they use that access. What that means is that at a certain point in the animal's production cycle, doors are open to let the birds go outside. Chickens are hugely creatures of habit, and usually these doors are opened up well into their lifespan where their habits are pretty much just rock solid. And they're like, there's something weird about this wall. I know this is a solid wall. I can't go through it, but it's got a different color and there's something weird and blue out there. (laughs) I'm not going out there. I don't know that. It's not the pasture raised birds that you expect from the term free range. They're not free range. They're living in a barn with access to outside So, yeah, free range is better than nothing. It is showing that they have taken some steps to improve the living condition of the birds, but it's not what you would expect. Because everyone always says, hey, Tyler, you know, you guys are pasture-raised, now you must be free range. I'm like, well, we are so much more than free range. So the other standard would be organic. And now organic is a worldwide, you know, term. It's got a lot of regulations and stipulation, which means there's lots of loopholes there. But I think there's a lot to be said for making directionally the right choices. You can't be perfectly correct every time. But if you do the best you can moving the forward in a good direction, it's better than nothing. And so even though there are tons of issues with organic, I think organic in general is better than non-organic. It's a surprising amount of organics end up in the American animal production system. We get a lot of Chinese organic soybean and random commodities. Now, is that stuff, organic product coming from China, really, truly 100% organic? Probably not. But is a bad organic better than a conventional operation? Yeah, I would say yes. So organic is something, especially when you start talking about chickens, that's really only talking about their input. So that's talking about their feed. That means the feed has no herbicides, no pesticides in it, other controlled substances. That means the birds themselves are not being fed antibiotics, no growth hormones. Although that's another tricky thing. Everyone always says no growth hormones on chicken. Chickens are not allowed to have growth hormones. So it's no growth hormone chicken because you can't do it. (laughs) It just can't do it. So it's just another like, yeah, silly marketing term. No antibiotics, but organics does not really talk about, it does, but not a lot, does not talk about outdoor access. You can be an organic chicken farm and keep them completely enclosed in a barn and control every single environment. You know, it's not perfect, but it's probably a lot better than just a conventional chicken that doesn't have any organic standards behind it at all. So you do get into a murky area when, you, when you're really trying to do this. So to get back to your point about knowing your farmer, I think that's really your best standard. 
and just talk to them and go with what they're doing. Even if they're a conventional farmer, just the fact that you can talk to them and that they're local and you're keeping a local farm in the rural community is hugely important. That the average age of the farmer, I believe, is 65 or 67 now. That we are just at the beginning of a huge cultural transition in agriculture where our farmers are aging out. They're going to be done here in the next decade or two. And that there's no one really coming behind them. And the ones who are coming behind them are struggling. And that you want to support as many of farmers as possible. Because what's happening is that big money likes to get into agriculture. Land is a really good place to store money. It retains value. So, for instance, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but Bill Gates is now the largest landowner or the largest farm landowner in the United States, right? I think it's actually both, but yeah. And it is predominantly farmland that he's buying, yes. Right. And so that's one guy in charge of however many millions of acres. Do you really want... And I'm not even saying whether or not he's doing things right. I'm just saying that do you really want one person control over that much land? And he's not even a farmer. I mean, he's probably got some really smart farmers working for him. But ultimately, you want, you know, small people who can touch the land that there's this great saying, the best fertilizer is the footsteps of the farmer, right? You know, and that you want your farmer in your community taking care of your community. You know, you don't want someone just down the road. You don't want to be bringing in stuff from Bill Gates. I mean, it's just the way I like to say it is this is this is the stuff you feed your family. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they feed their family. You know, an executive at a poultry company. I don't know where they get the meat to feed their kids. It may or may not come from their company. But, you know, it's just one of those things when I know a farmer lives on the land, you're taking care of the animals and they are the source of nourishment for you and your family. It's absolutely true. Just an example for you that this is a kind of a fun story. So we have been going the regenerative organic sustainable route since the early eighties. I was very short back then, but my dad, he was the one who started this change in the ranching structure. And there's this one really illustrative story he likes to tell at the time. And it's still somewhat commonly practiced. You can add to cows, you can give them growth hormones to steers for feedlot purposes. And that if you do that on farm before they go to feedlots, you get a little bit more pay. It's a bonus a value added process. So you bring your calves in and you give them these subcutaneous growth pellets. And, you know, it's shots. No one likes this. You know, your kids don't like shots. Calves don't like it. But, you know, you kind of do it. But there's some kicking and struggling. And my dad shot himself with a uh, growth hormone. A cow growth hormone. And, you know, nothing happened to him. He's still around. He's totally fine. Fine as he's ever been. Right. And, uh, but he's like, I don't really particularly like having this chemical in my body. And then, you know, once you have that realization, you're like, I don't like it in my body. Why do I like it in my cow's body? Cause if it goes into the cow's body, it's going to end up in my body. Right. So to your point about, you know, the farmer is eating his own Food, that's exactly it. That we stopped doing those growth hormones in the mid 80s because my dad decided I don't want to eat that. I don't want to do that to the cows and I don't want to eat that. And so even before we started doing direct marketing our beef, we we stopped because it wasn't right. We didn't believe in it. So it's a good metric. 
So Big Bluff Ranch has been around for quite some time. Can you tell us a little bit about the history and, and where you are today? Sure. So my grandpa bought the ranch in 1960. So that was my mom's dad. And he was a city boy and he had dreams of being a cowboy. And that's actually why we're called Big Bluff Ranch. Cause he told Graham, he's like, Graham, I bought a ranch. And he's like, she's no, you didn't. It's a big bluff. You didn't buy a ranch, you big joker. And so he brought her up sometime later and said, here you go. Here's the big bluff ranch. So that's why we were a big bluff ranch, not because of our big hillsides, which we do have, but because Graham thought grandpa was full of BS. <laughs> And then my parents moved up here permanently in the late 80s. Agriculture changed in the 80s, and we had to work a lot harder at making money. And that led my dad down the path of holistic resource management at the time, which was Alan Savory, who has a very well-known TED Talk these days. He is now called the Holistic Management. He's in charge of the Savory Institute, and he's just got all sorts of cool stuff going on. And he is the one that kind of started us thinking about how Mother Nature farms. And so his central thesis, and you know, it's it's a very small part of what he talks about, is he talked about the herds of wildebeest or what, what have you in Africa and how they're herded together by lions and they eat everything here and then they're gone and then it rains and the grass grows back and then the wildebeest come back and that it's a very fluid, ever-moving system. And he came up with ways, among others, of how to take that natural process and apply it to our style of production. So for us, we don't use wolves, although that would be kind of fun. We use electric fences. So in the late 80s, my dad got into range management. Range management, which is taking care of your grass. If you want the grass becomes good, you want your animals to be eating your grass. And so in the 90s, we started changing our beef genetics 2000, Michael Pollan wrote an article in the New Yorker, I believe, called Power Steer, which really blew up the grass-fed beef movement. And I graduated college in 2000 and was pretty much immediately at farmer's markets. Farmer's markets with our grass-fed beef, then we wanted to bring other proteins there. So we tried goat, we tried lamb, which was fun, but no one ate it, although they should because it's delicious. We tried a little bit of chicken. And we did not have fun doing it that first time. And we came up with the rule, four legs only. We're only going to raise animals <laughs> with four legs. So well, the only animal left was pork. So we got into pasture pork. And that was way worse than chicken. Oh, my God. Because we had a really large population of wild pigs at the time. And so we had wild boars mating with our domestic sows, our sows, Farrowing completely out of cycle in all sorts of random places. And the genetics of the piglets was weird because they were half Russian and half domestic. Uh, no good. So we got out of that eventually, well, quickly. We got back into chicken because no one else was either smart enough or dumb enough to get into chicken. I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> Probably smart enough not to get into chicken. But we got into chicken. We got up to about 1,800 head a year processing on farm reached a processing bottleneck where we had to figure out what we were going to do next. And I ran into a guy who said he could sell more than he could raise. I could raise more than we could sell. That was about 2009. So for the past 12 years or whatever the math is, we've been growing and getting better at producing pasture poultry at scale. Not very much as Big Bluff Ranch, mostly under contract growing or some wholesaling. COVID 
changed everything, as everyone well knows. And we decided that we didn't like the precariousness of only having one or two contracts that we needed. A, we wanted to talk to people. We like talking to people. We like sharing the joy of what we produce and getting the feedback directly because our chicken is really good, really, really good. And you don't get that sort of feedback when you sell to a wholesaler. They don't care. They're like, here's your check. And we're like, oh, great. How's the chicken? Yeah, good enough. And so that's what we're doing now. So we're going kind of back to our original roots of direct marketing, but not through farmer markets, through shipping it to your doorstep. So that's kind of who we are now. We're a super awesome pasture-raised chicken operation who will ship chicken to your doorstep. And so this is a funny story. Everyone always says, ah, it tastes like the chicken my grandma used to make. So yeah, your grandma definitely had her own good recipe. Don't get me wrong. But what she really had is she had her own chickens in the backyard that were being raised on pasture in the sun, eating grass that she would process and cook for you. That's what made her chicken so good. So when people get our chicken, they're essentially buying grandma's chicken. And so when they make their own recipe or use grandma's recipe, they're like, Oh my God, I finally figured it out. I know how to do it. It's like, yeah, you get a really good chicken and you get a really good grandma's chicken recipe. Kind of depends on the chicken. So that I guess would be our long story to the short point of us. Well, Tyler, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Oh, three. So I personally am kind of, in the paleo ancestral kind of go back to what we were designed to do type philosophy. I'm not like any sort of, you know, perfectionist by any means, but it really makes a lot of sense to me to do the things that your body was sort of meant to do. So I've gotten really into rucking these days. So, you know, I put on a heavy backpack and I take nice walks around the ranch. I'm actually posting little videos on LinkedIn these days. LinkedIn is actually my social media addiction. I don't know. I never really got sucked into Instagram. LinkedIn, though, can't tell you why. I love it. So I believe in kind of doing the things that your body was designed to do. So carrying heavy things. I like barefoot shoes. I'm actually wearing some barefoot shoes now. So I'm into that whole barefoot movement. I do also believe in like getting sun at the right time. Like it just makes sense. So I don't know that I have anything particular, any specific tactic. I think all the ones you hear that kind of come from that, like, hey, this is what we used to do as a species. I kind of believe that sort of stuff. And generally speaking, when I do it, I feel a lot better. So I'm like, well, it feels good. So I'm going to keep doing it. If someone wanted to learn more about you and Big Bluff Ranch, where would you like me to send them? Yeah, just come on over to bigbluffranch.com. You will see pictures of me pictures of the ranch, the chickens, and how we raise them. And they'll, we'll be able, you can hit a shop now button, buy some chicken if you think that's a good idea. And if you just want to keep chatting with me, I love talking to anyone about this sort of stuff. I've got contact info there. Tyler at Big Bluff Ranch. Yeah, I think our phone number's on there too. You can just call me. (laughs) My dad would probably answer the phone, but that's all right. He's pretty fun to talk to as well. Ask him about his growth hormone incident. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Tyler, for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. No, thank you for having me. It was great. Welcome back, Raz. 
Hey, Alan, another fun interview. I always like to hear how farmers get started or how people manage a ranch. The big bluff ranch sounds like a really cool place. It is. You know, he actually, they, they, you know, a lot of things we couldn't talk about on the podcast, but if you go to his website, mm-hmm. uh, he, they actually have a lake out there that you can fish. Aww. And it's not, you're not going to catch trophy fish out there, but you can go, you know, stay in a cabin and fish and swim and, and enjoy the lake. Um, they're in Northern California. So realize mm-hmm. that their seasons are limited when it's actually warm enough to maybe swim. Sure. Uh, but, you know, it's a cool place to go hang out. And if you run into Tyler, he'll talk chicken. You know, I've, I've always talked about get to know your farmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, granted, you'd be buying this chicken from Northern California but you would know your farmer, you know, you know, the family that's doing this. Like I said, his father's going to pick up the, probably the one that pick up the phone and you can actually have a conversation with this farmer. And he's going to tell you exactly how they raise their chickens and what it's like. And as a result, you end up with a better quality food product, Mm -hmm. which makes a better quality nutrition, which improves what you are. Now, these are not grocery store prices, not even if you look at organic and you know if it says organic, it's going to cost more, but these are going to cost a lot more because this yeah. is not a mass-produced thing. This is a family-owned. They're doing it themselves. They're processing mm-hmm. it right there. And so this is not something that's put into a factory situation where all mm-hmm. the chickens are living on concrete, drop the food, eight weeks, ship them out, slaughter <laughs> them, and ship them to the stores. Jeez. This is a family doing this hand-managed, so it's a very different environment. You mentioned that they might produce about 1,800 chickens or so per year versus your friend who has a turkey farm might get in maybe closer to a million chickens per year. Yeah. That yeah. Said? That's well, that's, that's what happens. Yeah. There's like the, big the number. Yeah, it is. And so if you particularly if you live down in the Southeast, you see this a lot because mm-hmm. that's where a lot of these chickens are done is there'll be chicken trucks. And there's a truck and they literally like these little wire cages and they cram chickens in these little wire cages. And these trucks are driving down the road towards the slaughterhouse (laughs) with thousands and thousands of these chickens. And it's literally just a factory and they're just a product going into that factory. So it's not set up where the chickens are roaming around, enjoying their lives. They're not. And so these chickens, I mean, literally he's got pictures on his website. It's so cool. They're like out in the field and they're doing what chickens do. They're just hanging out. They're eating bugs and living their lives, eating grass and eating bugs Mm -hmm. and and mice and snakes and everything else. But, you know, the important thing is he talked about the whole biosystem and some things we didn't talk about was, okay, you know, in a normal industrial agriculture, they want to control everything. Mm-hmm. And granted, he wants to control what he can control, but you know he's not going to be out there killing the bugs because he knows the bugs are a part of the process to make the grass grow that's going to mm-hmm. feed the cattle and the sheep and the goats. And then the birds are going to peck around there. You know, of course, the, the animals are going to go to the bathroom. That's going to potentially draw flies and maggots and other things. The birds are going to eat that. Right. I know it sounds disgusting sometimes, but that's what they are. They're carnivores. They're little raptors right. is what they are. They're little raptors. <laughs> right. And they're going to eat what they're going to eat. And so you yeah. let them run around and you let them cuddle and you let them have their time together and basically enjoy their lives instead of being crammed into a warehouse where they can't move and in many cases are, are brutalized. It's a very different thing. And so, you know, if you believe in the quality of your food and you're really working hard to make that better, okay, organic is going to be better than not. Okay. 
vegetarian is not better than anything else. It's a marketing term. So don't fall for marketing. Organic actually does mean a little something. It's better. Mm -hmm. Vegetarian does not mean better. Omega-3 mm -hmm. does not mean better. Um, so be careful, you know, with the wording. And it was really hard because they're really good at advertising. And oh, you know, yeah. another word that Tyler and I talked about afterwards Sometimes I should probably just leave the mic on because sometimes we're having really cool conversations after we get off the phone, but, you know, or off the recording. But, you know, I wanted to talk about the word natural. He's a natural means absolutely nothing. Oh, and it's true. Wow. In any kind of food product, you see the term natural, it means nothing. Mm -hmm. It has no meaning whatsoever. In fact, when you see natural flavors on a box, mm -hmm. all that really means is that chemical for flavor exists in nature. Therefore, they can make it. In a factory, they can make it in a lab mm. and call it natural because it already existed. Weird. Okay, like a vitamin. Uh, mm -hmm. They can say it's natural because the chemical already exists, that they understand <laughs> it, it's been identified, and then they can make it through this chemical process. They can call it natural. It means absolutely nothing. So there's a lot out there that's meant to mislead you, to market Very. to you. But here's the thing. Whole Foods... Mm -hmm. are harder to do that to than boxes and cans, True. jars, and bags. And so yeah. just as you go through this process, if you're trying to eat better, do better. If you mm -hmm. want to have something great and you want to understand the difference, when I say if your grandmother walked into a grocery store, she wouldn't recognize 95% of what she sees, Right. go ahead and buy one of Tyler's chickens or a couple of them because I think he sells them in packs. They're not cheap, but mm -hmm. you're going to taste the difference from what you're getting today and understand that. Then do the research and find someone close to you mm -hmm. that does something similar and you might find it for a better price. Mm -hmm. But if you want to try it, Tyler makes it very easy. You go to his website, you can order it. They'll ship it to you right to your door. I think you can buy like two chickens or six chickens or whatever shipped to your door. Not cheap, but it's going to be high quality. You're going to enjoy the food and you're mm -hmm. going to recognize the difference between high quality, nutritious, well-raised poultry and the stuff you're getting in the store. It's absolutely worth trying. It'd be a surprise to do a taste test between what you get at the store versus a farm. We've got a couple of farms. As you know, I live kind of out in the sticks in a kind of a rural area. We've got Turkey Farm is right down the road. And the cousins of that family have a chicken farm on the other side of town. So it's great. You know, if yeah. you happen to live in a rural area or near one, you can go check out your farmers and see what you can find. And it sure would be fun to have a taste test between the two. Well, I think what I'm going to do, I wouldn't want to do a taste test because I'm not going to buy that crap uh, if, I, <laughs> if I have a choice. Uh, but anyway, uh -huh. <laughs> what I'm going to, one thing I think I'm going to do is when I go back to the States, my daughter, Summer's getting married in May. When oh, I go yeah. back, I'm going to, I'm going to check in with Taylor and see what oh. his shipping time is and maybe have some chicken shipped to my mother's oh. house in North Carolina. Sure. So when I go to visit her before the wedding, I can try a couple of his chickens, but oh, that um, would be cool. You know, and I'm, I don't know when he'll get to the goats and the sheep and that type mm -hmm. of thing. I'm cool with that. Tammy, not so much for goats, sheep, or lamb. That's not her thing. Yeah. But at any rate, I am. I'll eat it, but she wouldn't. But <laughs> at this whole point, I think I'm going to give it a shot when I do travel back is to try That'd to have some of that shipped to my mother's house so we can give it a shot and see how it is. Neat. Sounds great. All right. Well, Rachel, again, I hope everything goes well with Mike uh, today that we're recording it and we'll talk soon. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.
Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Stuart Sandeman and discuss his book, Breathe In, Breathe Out. Restore your health, reset your mind, and find happiness through breath work. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.